As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, he is Paul Tenorio, and this week we are continuing our stroll down a 1990s nostalgic lane, because we are brought to you by Mondo. Mondo Juice Drink. Do you remember Do you remember Mondo's, Paul? Very, very little. Very little. All right, so they were kind of like, what are they, the, the Kool-Aid's jammers? I think they were called Kool-Aid Jammers, where they came in that plastic bottle with the like kind of weird top that you sort of had to rip off, um, yeah, and then you would yeah. chug all of that sugary goodness into your, like, your seven-year-old that. bottle. I didn't, I didn't know the name. Did, what Were those the ones that came also in the little jugs? They looked like, like root beer, um, like an old root beer jug would look, but they were plastic, and they had like the, the aluminum top on them. Is that what you're talking about? No, no, I know what you're, I think I know what you, are you just talking about like cafeteria juice? No. Because I, I think that's what you're talking about That might just be there. like late 80s version of, of Mondo. I, when you first said it, I was thinking of Mambas. You ever eat Mambas? No. The fruit chews? No. Man, my soccer team went through a real phase with Mambas. <laughs> Back in the day. Well, I went through a real phase with Mondos. Um, I, I did a little research before the show. Um, for those of you who are curious, Dunkaroos are in fact uh, I learned that thanks to uh, many of you listeners who tweeted at me. Dunkaroos liked one of those tweets, by the way. So shout out to whoever that was that got that that coveted Dunkaroo Twitter like. Um, but I did a little research today to avoid the Dunkaroo mishap. Mondos are still in production, and I think I got some like from a Seven Eleven, like in college, like the morning after a big night, and and just like was like. I don't know, really slap happy. And I was like, oh my God, there's a slice of my childhood in a weird plastic container. And I probably had like six of them in like three minutes. Um, so there you go. Mondos for all your fake juice needs. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Paul, there's a good deal to talk about. We we're a few days late to this conversation at this point, but the U.S. men's national team under 23 side failed for the third time running to qualify for the Olympics. They lost 2-1 to one to Honduras in the semifinal on Sunday afternoon slash evening. Got bounced, had to win that semifinal to get to Tokyo. The loser does not go. The Americans are the losers. Um, I think it's fair to say we both considered a pretty substantial failure on behalf of the Americans. Uh, it was not their best age-eligible team. All of the players on the U.S. team were out of season for a number of months. Those things are true. Uh, they do not excuse what happened. Um, that team is, you know, the best collection pretty much with a few exceptions due to injury and club absences uh, the M of MLS young Americans out there. And they went and they... They got dominated by Honduras, I think it's fair to say, for most of that game. A Honduras side that mostly plays domestically in Honduras and, you know, has a couple of guys in USL slash and one guy on the fringe of an MLS roster, right? And it's not some group with a huge pedigree. And it was kind of par for the course 
for the tournament. It was the same same problems that did them in in the group stage. They didn't necessarily get punished for them against Costa Rica and the Dominican Republic. They did against Mexico and they did against Honduras and they will not be progressing to the Olympics this summer. So, Paul, what what does this mean? Put it in a, put a bow on it for us. What does it mean to you? Well, I think, you know, from my perspective and and um you know, I wrote I wrote this, Sam, so you know, I'm just going to kind of reinforce what I wrote. This isn't, you know, this isn't the same problem that we saw in previous cycles, where the problem in those cycles were that there was a dearth of talent in this age group for U.S. soccer. And you saw that that problem get exacerbated because as a result of that lack of talent, the senior national team coach coaches um first Jurgen Klinsmann and then Bruce Arena after him, you know, they leaned heavily on veterans who were on the back end of their career for the most part. And they didn't start to cycle in specifically Bruce Arena, the very, very young players that lacked any experience on the international side and very little club experience outside of Christian Pulisic, who, you know, obviously had earned his way through his performance at Bruce. To, to be fair, who was he supposed to be cycling in at that point? Well, Tyler Adams was was somebody that after they failed to qualify, Bruce Arena said, oh, my plan was to bring Tyler Adams in. My plan was to bring Weston McKinney in. You know, he had these plans. Yeah, but, to bring but those guys had not through. really fully broken through on the club level, unless I'm mistaken about the timeline with Adams. He wasn't at Red Bull Leipzig yet. He was starting for the New York Red Bulls. Sure. Um, he was, he, they were at the beginning of this, right? And, and that was yeah. the problem. There was no bridge between the, you know, Michael Bradley's of the world and Tyler Adams and Weston yeah, McKinney. The, the lost generation. Through. There were very few yeah. at least. You know, Josie Altador is in that group. Darlington Nagby is in that group, but even not, they are not really. The, Those guys are only a couple years younger than Bradley. Right. They're, yeah. they're on the upper end of that, that scale. And so they're, you know, they're John Brooks is probably the greatest example. I mean, all you need to do is look at the current roster right now and see, you know, who the players are that fell into that generation. And really it's like John Brooks, Sebastian Legette, and Paul Ariola and Jordan Morris, like those Matt are the Miazga, four. DeAndre Yedlin yeah. would be another two. Miazga yeah. is another good example. Yedlin, I think, will have a chance to break back into the senior pool. He's playing well at Galatasaray, but it was a limited options. This time around, it's not the same thing. The U23 age group is the strongest age group by far that U.S. soccer has ever had. It's ever experienced. Many of those players were not available. In fact, you can build an entire World Cup or sorry, Olympic qualification roster out of the players who weren't available that would far exceed the roster that went to Mexico. However, you know, my big takeaway when I look at the failures of this team and the weaknesses in this roster was that, you know, there is I think a little bit of a highlight on one area that MLS is still struggling to produce a, a lot of players, American players, young players. And that's on the attacking end of the field. We see, you know, I think we see a decent number of center backs. I think we see a decent number of central midfielders, kind of box-to-box guys, Sam. But when you or, get to... Or holding midfielders, I think, in this specific roster. Right, right. <laughs> um, you know, but when you when it comes to wingers, strikers, attacking midfielders, it gets a little bit slim pickings. And, and we saw yeah. that here. Yeah, 100%. And there are some guys that have been in MLS and maybe recently moved on. I think Brendan Aronson would be the kind of shining example of a player like that. But yeah, when I look, I I agree with everything you said. I don't think this is a reason for alarm for the senior national team necessarily. I do think it is a missed opportunity because I'm guessing, you know, we we heard talk about it from the players themselves uh, before, I think, the friendly against Jamaica for the senior team, that some of them were like, yeah, I would love to go to the Olympics, right? And I would be really interested in them if if my club lets me. I would imagine some of them would have been able to go. And it's not the biggest tournament in the world. It's not a senior tournament, but it's still an important tournament um, with a decent amount of stakes on the line. And those reps, you can't recreate that. Right. So that's valuable experience that the U.S. could have gotten and some of these players could have gotten that they will not get. Right. So that that that's painful. I want to make another point that, you know, maybe escaped a little bit of what I was thinking on the night of, which sometimes I get into this tunnel 
vision where I'm like thinking so inside of our little soccer bubble and I start writing for and speaking to fans who are also inside of that bubble. And the next day yeah. I got a couple text messages, including one from a friend of mine who I grew up playing with. He played college soccer. This is somebody who is, you know, I would say a more than casual soccer fan to some degree, right? Knows the sport, played at a high level. And, but just doesn't really follow the day to day anymore, partly because he's, you know, he kind of, it's like a disenfranchised fan. He's a little bit turned off by the national team after the failure in 2018. And his take was, did we fail to qualify for a major tournament last night? That's what he asked me. And no matter what I talked to him about, about the roster makeup and the guys who weren't there and being out of season and all of that, he didn't yeah. care because ultimately and he shouldn't No, And ultimately what this did for us soccer was it really hurt. Because they're in the men's national team, the program is in recovery mode. They're trying to win back fans. They're trying to show that 2018 was an anomaly and the, the, the path is a positive one and things are going well. And for the senior national team and the group, the, the, the program, the player pool, it is right. There's a lot to be happy about if you're Greg Berhalter. But when you're trying to reach the fans and you're trying to reach the people and say, Hey, we are worth watching. We are worth supporting. This was this was a huge, huge hit to that. Because for yeah. the casual supporters, it's US men stink, they missed another major tournament. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. I mean Burhalter talks about it all the time. We heard a lot about it last week after Eunice Musa committed and you know, changing the perception of American men's soccer around the world. And this is this was an opportunity to to, to kind of take a step towards doing that. And it's an opportunity missed. Um, I also, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this particular aspect of it, but I do want to spend some time on it. And we've talked about it on previous shows, but the, the roster selection and the tactics from Jason Christ and whoever else played a role in those things, I don't know who else, it wasn't good enough. It, you know, it wasn't. And I think that's fair to say. The players played a big role. They weren't good enough either. But when you look at a midfield three and... It's Andres Perea as the number six and Jackson Ewell and Hassani Dotson as the number eight or throw Cardoso or Georgi Mihailovic into that mix in some form or fashion. Uh, you just don't have enough guys that can actually progress the ball. <laughs> you know, maybe you can set up to play a high press sort of system where you can hit teams in transition and go at them. Um, that's sort of where your failures or the failings at winger and striker come into a little bit of play with this group. Um, but it's not a team that's built to really take advantage and dictate the game through possession. And we saw that time and time again at this tournament. And the, like, there are limitations. Paxton Pomacall injured. I already mentioned Aronson. He moved to Europe, right? So he wasn't available. Um, so, you know, the, the midfield group that he had to pick from, was more defensively inclined than not. That being said, he left some guys home that could have contributed, right? Eric Williamson, I think, is the one that's been talked about the most. Even a chance on a guy like Caden Clark from the Red Bulls, you know, who can provide an attacking spark centrally and on the wing, right? Maybe like a mini Aronson type who had some success in extremely limited sample size, but some success in MLS last season. Um, Keaton Parks, right? A guy who has done it in MLS for a couple of seasons now with NYCFC is, is a pretty smooth number eight. You know, none of those guys, some of those guys weren't even called to the preliminary camp, right? The pre, the pre-tournament training camp. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm guessing Jason Christ might have a couple of regrets in that yeah. regard. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have felt any better about Jason Christ sticking Keaton Parks on in the 80th minute as I did sticking Tanner Tessman on in the 80th minute in search of a goal, right? Like, I think when you go down the I mean, list last sure, year... But it's not it's not about who's coming on in the 80th minute. It's about who's starting. Or starting, and when you're starting And when you're starting Dotson and Yule and Perea, you're starting three defensive midfielders. For sure. And, but I, and, I, I think Keaton Parks falls into that same mix. I don't think he's an attacking-minded midfielder. I, I think you're right not, on... But with, he's, not, with, he's not a six either. He's number eight. He plays as a number eight in MLS. I, I think when you look at guys like... When you go down the list of last season's production of young American attackers and who were scoring, who was scoring goals and who was assisting, you know, at the top of the goal scoring list, Ayo Akinola, not available due to illness. You know, yep. would he have chosen the U.S. or Canada? We don't know. Obviously, that's a big blow. Daryl DK, not available on loan at Barnsley. 
Big blow not to have him available as a striker. Jeremy Obobese was next on that list. They didn't take him, right? They didn't rate that him. One was un- that and, one was unbelievable to me too. And, and this is, Christ talked about this when he was sort of explaining his roster decisions, but he looked a lot at form in the camps, in the January camp and in, in the pre-tournament training camp. Obobese was not even invited to the pre-tournament training camp. To me, when you're looking at guys like Obobese who have 75 or so games in MLS, form has to be a consideration in a tournament setting. It has to be. But track record has to come into play too. And it seemed like it didn't really for this tournament squad. And I don't really understand that. And what's interesting, when you get to the next level of goals and assists, right? Anthony Fontana, six goals, no assist, wasn't in the camp. Cole Bassett, five goals, five assists. He's another one. I keep forgetting to mention him. That's yeah. another one that, that should have probably gotten more. Cole Bassett. I think Cole, I thought Cole Bassett was going to get a look for sure after the way he played last year. And then you yeah. get to some guys who were on the roster, right? Jonathan Lewis, Benji Michelle, Brendan Aronson was not available. Brooks Lennon was not available. Um, he was, he had 22 <laughs> key passes, believe it or not, in Atlanta. You know, I'm not saying he was, a, I don't think Brooks Lennon was maker, making the but, difference. Yeah. Um, you know, but you look at, I mean, when you're talking about Brendan, you know, Brooks Lennon versus Georgie Mihailovic versus Benji Michelle, you know, again, it kind of highlights that we're not talking about guys that are. No, it's not the cream of know, the crop. They're not the difference maker. I mean, Georgie Mihailovic, to be fair, just got traded for a million dollars in, in allocation money in Major League Soccer and it's, it's up it's, to, up to a million you know, and got some, a $700,000 contract right, on so, top of that. You know, I, maybe I shouldn't group him in there as far as expectations go. But, you know, Richie Ledesma out with an ACL. Yulianez had to pull out after being selected to the roster due to an injury. They they didn't have a lot of options. I'm interested um, to They know. didn't have a lot of options, but they're playing, you know, I was talking to a couple of GMs about it this week. Honduras, they're saying, is basically a USL squad. These are experienced MLS pros who are making a lot of money. In some of in some of these cases, in a lot of these cases, you should be able to go out and handle your business against a team like that. And they didn't. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was disappointing. The whole performance of the whole tournament was disappointing. I'm also interested to know, did they go after some of those kind of mid level European guys? You know, did they ask for Luca De La Torre, who really impressed Greg Berhalter in the senior national team camp and get turned down? You know, I I wonder I wonder how deep that those those requests yeah. went. Um, but certainly, I think overall, you have to look at it and say, okay, maybe we didn't have our first tier guys, even some of our second tier guys. But that next tier, to your point, should be winning those games. I I, I always hesitate to say that because I think there's a level of arrogance to yeah, the American I, I soccer agree. world. And I think like, there's a level of disrespect given to teams like Honduras, and yeah. who, by the way, who have qualified for four Olympics in a row and finished fourth. In Rio, they right. were in the medal and, game, and you know, yes, they might the the league might be a lower level league, but like there are good players in that league, and no, hundred you know, percent, and they're but, and they're in mid season. Like, I don't think we should just like write like, it off. Just like no, say, I think, oh, Americans I think should absolutely right. come in preseason form and 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 crush Costa Rica and crush Honduras. Uh, I'm like, not saying not, they should crush them, but or they beat they sort of got crushed. But like to me, it's like it's a one off game, like. You know, for me, a little there is a little bit of arrogance in being like, like I could look at those teams and say, okay, yeah, that U.S. team should win six out of ten times. That's not that much. No, you know? sure, of course, in a one-off atmosphere with all of the conditions that we've discussed, you're, there's a decent chance you'll lose that game. No argument there. The concern for me is like you're you're not. They didn't really generate chances. They were making elementary mistakes in the back. And there was just like, there was no sense of how to attack or how to build. There, there was nothing. It's one thing if you're generating good looks and you're just not finishing or if you're having good buildup play and the final ball isn't really there. That wasn't really the case in this tournament. And, and, and so like it, it goes a little bit deeper than, oh, they lost a one off and yeah. that can happen to anybody, any, any given Sunday, whatever. Right. Yeah. It's deeper than that. I, I felt like it was just a, a team that never felt like it fit. You know, I, I think like the, all the way around, right? Like the coach, the, the pool of players, you know, like it was a difficult position for Jason Christ to be in, you know, the job lasted a year longer than he expected. 
Um, you know, I, I, I still believe that they would have qualified had it been last year, just based on the players they had available versus what they had available this time around. Yeah. Um, MLS players would have had three games under their belt at yeah. that point. Yeah. You had Aronson, you had Pomey call, you had Reggie Cannon, you had Mark McKenzie, Ledesma, um, you had Ledesma. It was a, you had Julianes. Like it was a different, it was a better, squad. it was a better team. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. I do want to talk a little bit, Paul. We've talked about kind of how how we don't, this is a missed opportunity, but it's it's not a death knell or anything for the senior team, right? It, in the grand scheme, it doesn't mean a ton for the USMNT, and at least I think in our opinion. But what do you think it says about MLS? Because this was pretty much exclusively an MLS team with a couple of exceptions. Yeah, I mean, it just shows that there's still a long way to go, right? Like, you know, to to the point of everything I just said of this arrogance of like believing that the US should win, like... There is that belief in Mexico, and they're correct. Like, I think that the Mexican team 100% should win against those teams. I mean, to be fair, you take out the element of preseason versus in-season. The Mexican teams are in-season right now. But, you know, I don't think the U.S. is there yet. And that's and that's kind of, again, what Burhalter talks about, changing the perception of U.S. soccer to be a powerhouse in the region until MLS can take that next step up. And a part of that is, in my opinion – playing more younger players, playing more younger players in every position, empowering them to grow, creating more Brendan Aronsons so that your your depth list goes a little bit deeper, right? It's not there yet. And this is all a part of the process. We're only like, really, Sam, like, what would you say? Like five years into a consistent number of homegrown pl- players playing like, real homegrown players, not like signed when they were 18 and spent like three months in the academy. And so guy, guys that were in the academy from 13, 14, 15, right. that sort of thing. And yeah, five years, time. sure. It takes time yeah. for those players to be produced. I don't, Sam, I'm going to throw this at you because I, we've had this conversation before and we're on the opposite sides of the argument. So this will be a good debate. I was talking to somebody the other day who said to me, academy players, the U.S. players that are being produced are worse now or no better now than they were 20 years ago. I think you can't really say that. I think the proof is in the pudding now at the American players and the level that they're playing in Europe to show things are getting better. Um, I don't think you feel that way. I think you think things are pretty much the same as where they've been. I I don't know if I think it's the same as where they've been. I'm not really going to answer your question. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I am going to like just take this down a little bit of a path, though. I think what this shows, in my opinion, and maybe this is a little harsh, is that MLS can get players on the right developmental track. Um, but there appears to be a ceiling for how far that development can go, right? Yes. Like, when, when you look at those players in Europe, a lot of them came from MLS academies or DA academies. I guess just just DAs, DA clubs, I should say. DA academies, development academy academies. Why am I still talking about this? There appears to be a ceiling, right? Because when you look at those kids, Christian Pulisic, he left at 16. Gio Reyna left at 16. Weston McKenney left at 18. Uh, Tyler Adams, I think, was 19. Uh, Brennan Aronson, 19. Um, Chris Richards, 18. Chris Richards, 18. Uh, Tim Weah. I think was not even. Yeah. Like, so I think it shows you that MLS can get people on the right path. You can start your pro career in MLS, but if you really want to advance and if you really want to progress and if you really want to take that development to the next level, you need to go and you need to go pretty young. And I think there's an understanding of that among the players. I think there's an understanding of that among MLS clubs. I just think that that understanding is more of a recent phenomenon, right? 
like last year, 18 months, that sort of thing. Um, and you know, when you have the guys that didn't go, right. When you look at the team that didn't go and that's this group, right. Jesus Ferreira, Justin Glad, uh, Henry Kessler, Jackson Yule, like they all seem to kind of like level out and there will of course be exceptions there. Right. I think Darlington Nagby is a fantastic player. He spent his whole career in MLS, right? Like you can, you can develop in this league. I just think it's, it's not quite the crucible. It's not quite the cauldron and it's not quite the level of development as some of these European leagues or teams. And so that's what it says to me. It's not that MLS can't do this. It's not that MLS isn't working towards doing it better. It's that right now there's a real ceiling. And I think we saw that in Guadalajara. I think you did answer my question, Sam, because it was the same exact point that <laughs> a, I made. In a roundabout way. <laughs> no, it was the same exact point I made to the person who, who I was debating over this, you know, earlier this week. I said, I don't think the issue is in youth development. I don't think it's ever been in youth development. I think that the, the issue is taking a player to the next level once they hit 16, 17, 18. That's always, not always. That's been that's the issue in, in American I mean, soccer in a long, for a long time. Can you take them from, the 17-year-old ready to become a professional to the 22 or 23-year-old who is a very high-level professional? And right now, the mm-hmm. answer is no. Major League Soccer can't do that. And the, it's hard to do that, right? Because very have, rare exceptions, I would say. Yeah, right? you, very well, rare exceptions. Who are Landon Donovan is the exception, right? Like yeah. in, in the modern-day MLS, you know, I guess you can point to some of the older national team guys, but soccer, I think, is, has evolved so much since the Dempsey days – you know, of course, you can you can take a good player from MLS in the prime of their career and move them to Europe, and they can probably be a pretty good player for a certain level of team, right? Like mm-hmm. Fulham is a good example of that. Like I thought Jordan Morris would have been the next example of a player who could go in the prime and and join like a mid level Premier. I mean, League there are players that can teams. go young and do it. Look at Daryl DK, right? Like not yeah, as high he, level of team, but still. So I, I'm going to go back to a story I wrote um, in 2019, October of 2019, when I was oh. at Bayern Munich. And I'm getting into the Paul Tenorio greatest hits here, folks. I, w- I was talking to, to <laughs> Johan Sauer, who is the head of the academy at Bayern Munich, about w- about why they are signing young American players, how they scout young American players. And Sam, he's speaking to the point you brought up. Sauer said, I'm going to quote from the story directly. Sauer said, Bayern Mm -hmm. Munich is convinced they need to bring players in from the United States at age 16, the the youngest FIFA rules will allow to maximize their chances to succeed in Germany. And this is his quote. The biggest difference is the speed of play if you compare American soccer to Bayern Munich. If you watch an MLS game or even a youth game, it's technically on a very good level. It's athletically on a very good level, but the ball goes a little slower. They are Mm -hmm. playing on the whole pitch and you do not have the pressure like you have in Europe. And that, I think, is the main factor that the young players have to learn when they start here. Athletically, they're on the same level as our youth players and they have all the basics that they learned in the youth teams. But if it comes to the speed of play, how the ball circulates, that's always a bit different. I mean, I think we saw that manifest exactly in Guadalajara, right? The U.S. could knock the ball around the back. They were fine, you know. There were there were issues, technically. I put a lot of that down to the rust, right? We saw a lot of missed traps and passes out of bounds and things that you don't normally see from that group of players. Um, but I think a lot of that can be attributed to rust. But it was slow, the whole time, the tempo was off, right? And I think I think we saw that manifest itself perfectly. And I, I don't know. Th- this goes back to an interesting point, a separate point. But I think American players are really well suited kind of for the quote-unquote modern game, right? This high tempo, pressing, hit in transition. I mean, that's what like the U.S. national team built itself on. In, the, in this modern era since 1994, since 2002, right? Hardworking Americans, athletic, right? Maybe not the most technical in the world, but they can get after it with the best of them, right? And like, that's kind of what soccer has become, it, like in, in some ways, <laughs> um, right? It's really, it's really fast. It's not, there aren't room for the super technical, slow moving, uh, you know, number 10s who want to play the beautiful game, so to speak. Um, so I think it suits them in a lot of ways, but they do need to take that next that next jump and and sam again i'm going to go back to this idea it's like it's a very hard balance to strike and and when when mls starts to take some steps towards it actually they haven't taken 
TAM would be the last step toward it that, that's happened, which is adding more money to the mix, right? You have to improve the level of Six play. Six years old, TAM, by the way. We should have a birthday party for TAM this year. <laughs> we're, we're right around the birthday. We might have just missed it. Um, if you If you elevate the level of the entire league, then the players, the young players, will get better. I've always argued, people always say, oh, all these rules bringing in more internationals, it's bad for the American player. I've always disagreed. I think it, it helps the young American players to be playing at a better level in training every day, in the league every day, the expectations to get on the field. If they, I mean, that's a big part of it is actually putting the kids on the field. But you, you have to, like, that's the balance, right? Like, to make the league better faster, you have to bring in people from the outside. And then you also have to be playing the young American players who aren't at that level. So it's, that's the constant um, game that's being played by Major League Soccer. The push and pull. I think we're kind of getting there with some clubs. The other thing this sort of tells me is, you know, there's the go-tos. You hear them on the broadcasts all the time about the teams that are really putting a lot into youth development, right? And it's FC Dallas and the Philadelphia Union and Real Salt Lake and the New York Red Bulls and who am I missing? Toronto FC, maybe. Um, that's We praise too many of these clubs. The results aren't good enough for most of them. It's basically Dallas with a sustained track record, and that's it. Like, straight up. Philly seems to be on a good path, but it's very new in terms of actually getting a return there. Um, so, it, it looks like they're headed in a good direction. The Red Bulls were in a good place. They've fallen off a little bit on that front over the last couple, since Adams left, basically. Maybe they can get back on track. RSL has put a ton of players on youth national teams, but, like, are any of them really killing it? on the club level, like glad and Herrera have done good things for them in MLS, but we saw how they looked in Guadalajara. We saw how Bofo Saucedo looked in Guadalajara and we saw how he looked in MLS for years. And now he's not really playing in Mexico. And, um, you know, I think some of these teams get a little bit more credit than maybe they deserve. Uh, and I would like to see more teams actually like take steps like the LA teams. What are you doing? Like LAFC, you get a pass because you're new and you seem to be actually taking some steps. But the Galaxy, like, it's shameful the fact that they haven't produced more players. They haven't really produced any. Um, and, and so I think more teams need to do more. It's not going to be the model for everybody. And I get that. And that's fine. It shouldn't be. Right. But more teams should be getting more out of it than they are. By the way, you look at that national team and you look at where those players came from. And it's basically Dallas and Salt Lake. Um, well, the full team is more is more Dallas. This the U twenty three team is more Salt Lake, right? Yeah, I mean, but like even just kind of when we talk about like the domestically produced players who are younger ages, like that's where it's coming from, right? It, yeah, it just shows that you know we can if imagine if more teams were doing it. You know, imagine yeah. if more teams were doing it right. And it's not like Salt Lake has the biggest talent base in the world, by the way. <laughs> um, anyway, we've talked a lot about the Olympic squad. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about some CCL, some MLS intrigue, a few other topics on the other side. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think... 
I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. And we're back. Allocation disorder. Paul, we're going to talk a little bit about Sergio Aguero here right off the top. Uh, we're going to talk some CCL, some U.S. Open Cup stuff to close out the show. But let's we'll we'll start with the Argentine striker who news broke earlier this week that he will be leaving Manchester City when his contract expires at the end of the month, as tends to happen with players of this caliber of a certain age. Uh, MLS immediately popped up as a potential landing spot for Aguero, uh, as did a number of you know other European Champions League clubs and uh, clubs back home for him in Argentina. Uh, I am curious, Paul. He's he's missed most of this season. I think he only has one goal. Uh, missed a lot of time. But he's been an incredibly productive striker throughout his time in Manchester. One of the leading scorers in Premier League history. I believe he's the leading scorer in Manchester City history. An all-time legend at that club um, and in the Premier League. Still 32, I want to say. So he could certainly come to MLS and do it, assuming he's healthy. Would you like to see that? And if so, where do you think would make sense? Give me, give me a couple of teams. Actually, don't just give me one because you got to leave some for me too. Yeah. So first of all, I think there's, there's like this unfortunate thing that happens with MLS, which is like if it signs anybody over the age of thirty, it's a retirement league. It's and it's so dumb. It's like, so I, stupid. I, like, I, it, it, like, look at what Zlatan's doing in Milan right now. But like, you know? even bring it, dial it back a notch because Sergio Aguero is thirty-two years old. Like, if he goes and signs with. Barcelona or PSG or Juventus, right? Or Atletico, where he came up. No one is going to say retirement team. Maybe with the exception of like PSG, who had that like moniker for a while. But like teams all over the world sign players who are 32, 33 years old. 32 is still a productive age. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. So I want to start there. Like if you're one of those people, you're an idiot. Okay. So there we go. We'll start. (laughs) Wait, I don't, I just want to add to that. That said, if he comes here and just F's it off, like we've seen some of these guys do in the past, then that moniker becomes a little more realistic. Looking at you, Andrea Pirlo. Right. Or, or Steven Gerrard. I mean, you have to do some research into the player. You have to, you have to understand what the motivation is going to be, but that's different than just being like age, you know, like it's so arbitrary. It's the same reason I get upset over the under 22 initiative. It's like such an arbitrary measure of like whether or not to sign a player. It's just like looking at their age. But all that being said, yes, of course, I think. MLS team should be looking at Sergio Aguero. I mean, before this season, which he's missed most of with injury, he's averaging more than 20. He's averaging actually, actually exactly 20 goals a season over his previous nine seasons in the Premier League. So, you know, with that level of production, I have, I would have very few doubts that if he was motivated, that he could come to Major League Soccer and do very well. So if I have to pick one team that I think would be a good fit, that I would like to see him play, where I would like to see him play in MLS, I'm going to say LAFC. Okay. Aguero is out of contract at the end of the, at the end of the year. That's when he'll be leaving is the summer. LAFC could have an open DP spot if Brian Rodriguez hits all the triggers and is, is purchased by, by um Almeria, right? That's where he is, Almeria. Um and <laughs> don't go for me. Don't go to me for Spanish pronunciation, Paul. I can't you, remember you should, if there's an accent on the eye. You're, of that team you're the that, expert so on I'm that. Just one thinking here. about it. Um <laughs> and I'm just trying to stick with my my trend. You know, I mispronounce words on this show. Yeah. Spanish, English, you it doesn't matter. Um <laughs> so I, I I it doesn't fit the model. Right, it doesn't fit what LAFC does, who they are at all. But he would be. They also so don't good. sign DP strikers. In yeah. addition to like not signing, like going for younger. They don't DPs. sign older players. They don't definitely don't sign older DPs. Like that's not the model at all. Like Carlos Vela is not this. Um, but he would be so good for them, and they need a striker badly. And though, and you know, they could potentially have a DP spot. 
I like it. I think it takes this team that's at its peak and you sh- you're shoving the chips in and you're saying we're going to win an MLS Cup. And and that's what Atlanta did. You know, Atlanta after its inaugural season said, "Nope, we're going to win MLS Cup." They shoved all their chips in the middle of the table. They went for it in that year and they won it. And that's what you got to do. And there's no guarantees. Look at Atlanta. There's no guarantees of what it's going to bring you and what's going to happen like when you have a window to win a trophy, you got to go for it. And this would be a go for it move for LAFC. When you have the hammer, you got to use it. To quote Kevin Harlan. I don't know why I did that. Sometimes I <laughs> mute myself when you're talking so that I don't embarrass myself by laughing at the stupid <laughs> stuff you say. Um, anyway, LAFC, that'll be interesting. I, I don't see that happening. I don't think that will happen. Um, the obvious one is, of course, he goes to Inter Miami on a TAM deal and there's a huge cash payment that's somehow hidden. Um, and then that later gets investigated a year later. Uh, the other <laughs> obvious one is, you know, the man already works for City Football Group. There happens to be a city football group club in MLS that could use a dash of star power that has two open designated player slots and is kind of in need of a striker with Eber out and Tati Castellanos, kind of a striker, kind of a winger. Maybe he's going to Palmeiras in the summer, depending on different reports that you may or may not believe. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's the obvious one is New York City FC and then his buddy Messi can join him in two years. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is, right? Um, I think that one makes a ton of sense. It would, I think, inject a much needed uh, bit of goodwill into that club for the fan base um, that's kind of upset, annoyed, and aggravated at the moment with some of the moves and the stadium situation and having to play half their games at Red Bull Arena this season. Um, so that's the one that makes the most sense for me um, in terms of MLS. But I don't know. If I had to bet... I would say Sergio Aguero will not end up in MLS this summer. What do you think about that? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think there's just too much interest from European clubs um, where he'll go and and, and play there. Uh, I would agree with that, but I guess we'll see. I think it would be a good addition to the league if he's motivated. That's always the if. If he's motivated and if he's healthy, of course. Um, moving on, Paul, we have some games next week. Games that matter. In Major League Soccer, or involving Major League Soccer teams, I should say. The CONCACAF Champions League kicks off on Tuesday night. I'm pulling up the schedule right now. I had it before, and then I switched, and oh, this is a disaster. Toronto FC is going to be playing Leon from Liga MX. Columbus Crew against Real Esteli. Philly Union against Saprissa. Atlanta United against against your team. Alajuelense. Did I do La that Liga. Right? La Liga, as they say. Um, and the Portland Timbers against Marathon out of Honduras. Uh, so that's the first round, the round of 16 matchups. Those are two legs this year. The quarterfinal matchups will be end of April, start of May. And then you got a huge gap, uh, between the quarters and the semis. The semis wouldn't be until August and the final is not scheduled until October 28th. This is all very different for the CCL. COVID had an impact. The busy summer has an impact. Um, CCL is normally like, then once you get into knockout stages, it's like four or five, six weeks from start to finish. It goes pretty quick. Not so much this year. Uh, that's taken a lot of sting out of it for me for these first round games and really just the tournament in general. Um, I think it's still going to be interesting, but I don't know. I'm just like not as up for it as I usually would be here. What five days out from the first game? I mean, it's a weird group of, MLS teams that's in it, right? Like, yeah, but it's but it's always kind of a weird group of MLS. But this year, even more so, Sam. Like Atlanta United got in for what? The 2019 Open Cup champs. (laughs) Yeah, put some respect on their name, dude. (laughs) PT Martinez and Frank DeBoer. You cannot take that trophy away from them. Let's start there. (laughs) The Portland Timbers are there for your favorite tournament of all time. MLS MLS is is back. back. That's right. You know, I know the Timbers won MLS's back, but really the CCL birth should have gone to the spiritual winners of MLS's back, the San Jose Earthquakes. Absolutely agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. Um, Toronto, they got in for almost winning the Canadian Championship. For kind of sort of winning the Canadian Championship, but not really winning it and then sort of winning it. And yeah, just get in there, TFC. This is this will go better than if you have to play, if we have to send York 9. Yeah, I mean, all sorts of interesting teams in this one. 
I, I'm already excited about it just because no, like no love for Philly and Columbus, the well, supporter they're, they're, shield minimalist cup yeah, winners. Well, they're, the, they're the real winners, so I left them out of the making fun of the teams that are in here. You right? need to give them their flowers, okay? They don't get enough attention, even though they're the winners. You got to give them the due. Okay, I, I when's the last keep, time we talked about right. those two teams on this show? You know what? Fine, go ahead. Let's let's make fun of them because that's what we're doing right now. I'm not making fun of confusion. them. I'm giving them credit. Well, that segment was about making fun. of What is wrong with you? Pool of MLS. <laughs> Okay, that's what the, that's what it was about, and you ruined it. You ruined it <laughs> you by ruined bringing it. up the two legitimate teams in the, in the CCL this year. All right, but it is kind of weird. You're right. I'm mostly just looking forward to La Liga beating Atlanta United because I'm sick of the Atlanta wow. United fans that are like, they got the draw, and they were like, what a wonderful draw for Atlanta. And I'm looking around like, you guys stunk last year, and you're playing the best team in Costa Rica. It's the best version of La Liga in some time. And you're like, oh, what a great draw. I'm like, okay, all right, we'll see. We'll you, see. Didn't you do this about the Costa Rica U23s too? Yeah. Hey, <laughs> they should have won that game. How against much the worse, US. Yeah, exactly. How much they worse would it have smacked been? Smacked against Mexico. But they won the it would have been the it would have been exactly the US. They they might have stood a better chance of beating Honduras in the knockout stages. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. They should yeah. have beat the US. It was it was very unlucky of them to lose that game. I, I would agree with that. A draw was certainly in order at minimum. For sure, for sure, at minimum. Yeah. Um, but my point being, you know, and there were there were a couple of players from that Alawalense team that's on that Costa Rican team that are, you know, were some of the better players of a team that Costa Rican team that underperformed, and some of the best players on the team that did well actually performed up to their ability were were from La Liga. So my point is, I, I hate when MLS fans do the same thing U.S. fans do with with Olympic qualifying. Oh, we should smack this team. Like what in your history has shown that? What Who's in the doing history that of CCL? in CCO? All these Atlanta Who? fans when the draw came out, I was like laughing. I was like, oh, "You got to be kidding me!" All these guys talking about what a great draw for Atlanta United. <laughs> Get out of the first round first, man. Come on. Well, I think to to be fair to Atlanta United exuberance, um, it is a better draw than Toronto got. They have to play Leon in the first round from Liga MX. Would you disagree there? And then the other part of it that you have not mentioned is that if Atlanta win. They play the winner of Philly versus Saprissa, whereas all of the other MLS teams, with, of course, the exception of Philly, would most likely have to play a Liga MX club if they advance to the quarterfinals. So it's not just the first round opponent that, that we're talking about the draw here, Paul. But, but like, my thing is, like, the only, it's not like the Mexican teams are the only good teams in this thing. Like, Saprissa could beat Atlanta too. Of course they could, but like, you know, you like your odds better against Saprissa than you do saying, against America maybe. or Monterey. No, maybe, maybe. is that know. is that so unfair? I'm just repping my Costa Rican squads. Is all I'm saying. Don't get, don't start looking. Why are you looking past us? Why are you looking down the line of the draw? You stunk it up last year, Atlanta United. You should be thankful that you're there. You I'm interested you- to see. I'm interested to see what Atlanta United look like. By the way, me too. Under Gabriel Anze, um, who by all accounts appears to be super intense like super duper intense like hasn't shown up for a couple media availabilities like bars everyone from training like just like the model bielsa you know like just like leaning into it hard so i'm excited to see what they look like tactically and this was if known. they can come this out with a little more intensity Heinze. this was the risk of hiring Heinze. this is this is his personality you know it might and- not be a risk or Might not be a the blessing. risk, but the you know this was the it's part of the deal, the downside if you want it, because he was known as a really good coach, right? I mean, fair, but very intense, you know, behind the scenes, very confrontational with media, not usually something that goes over well in the United States. Um, but like, it's like, all right, but like, you know, he's a pretty good coach, so just go for it, I guess. See if he can get past La Liga, and then all you Atlanta fans can come up in my mentions. <laughs> you hear that, Atlanta fans? Dunk on Paul. With Dunkaroos. Uh, does an ML- is this the year, Paul? Is this the year an MLS team does it? Yeah, man. I wish, I, think- you, I wish you could have seen the face he just made. He looked at me with a, such a look of disgust when I asked him that question. And a head shake. I don't, he's going to soften out his answer. Like he, but like his real reaction was, was utter contempt. The only way. The only way that an MLS team finally wins the CONCACAF Champions League is that... It- it validates the importance and the, the the memory of MLS's back tournament. Portland Timbers, 2021 CCL champions. I like that. They're going to take down America in the second round. Alajuelense, definitely, in the semifinals. 
And then let's say Monterey in the Champions League final. What do you think? MLS is back, turns into MLS has finally arrived. Wow. The headlines write themselves. <laughs> let's let's move on. One last segment here in the show. US Open Cup. Uh, it was announced recently that the tournament would be downsizing from 32, or was it 24? I cannot even remember what the previous iteration was supposed to be. 24. 24. Downsizing from 24 to 16, uh, MLS is going to be qualifying its teams, eight teams from MLS. You're going to have four from the USL Championship, um, one each from USL League One and from NISA, which are both third division leagues, and then four amateur squads. Did I do that right? I don't think I did. Two, two amateur, amateur squads. squads. Two amateur squads. I tried to put 18 teams into a 16-team tournament. Whoops. Uh, anyway, so MLS teams are going to be qualifying based on points per game among the American clubs after the third week of matches. I don't, not everyone's going to have three games played. I think RSL has a buy in week one, so they'll only have two, if I'm correct. And then who knows what might happen with COVID. And um, So it's going to be points per game, top eight teams uh, advance to the Open Cup. That's going to kick off later in May, I believe. Um, and real mad dash to the finish. Will Atlanta United even have a chance to defend its crown? I don't know or care because you know what really just popped into my head? <laughs> Is no. the, the, possibil- the possibility of a treble winning Portland Timbers who get into the, <laughs> into the Champions League on the back of MLS is back, win it. Obviously, I just predicted that. Then advance to Open Cup through a strong three game start to the season. <laughs> then win, win four games win in Open Cup. Win four games and win that. And yeah. then, and then win MLS Cup, which, yeah. you know, and, and that forget about Supporter Shield and the work that goes into that. You can win a treble on the back of like, I don't know, what does that put you at? Like 16 games total across? Yeah. Yeah, baby. That's the path. That's what I'm rooting for this season in MLS. Portland Timbers treble, Champions League, Open Cup, MLS Cup. I'm in. What do you got, Sam? Can you top that? I don't think you can Oof, top that. I'm kind of into it. Um, the only other thing that I would enjoy is, uh, man, I'm trying to think. Maybe, maybe Atlanta United, Paul, winning, winning CONCACAF Champions League, winning Supporters Shield and winning MLS Cup, but not being able to even compete for the Open Cup because like they lose one out of their first three games or something like that. <laughs> so will they, would they ever have been able to do the domestic treble or the quadruple when you account, count for international trophies? We'll never know because, you know, they couldn't beat out the Colorado Rapids to get into the open cup field. I wonder if they would be the first ever team in the hundred plus year history of the open cup to not defend their open cup crown. Hmm. Look into that. I have to look into that. Yeah, we will have to look into that. My guess. No, they would not be the first. And technically, you know, if you want to do this like world cup qualifying, like in different countries, some call qualifying the world cup. It's all part of the tournament, right? So technically, the first three MLS games or the first three weeks of MLS games, part of the U.S. Open Cup tournament. So they do have a chance to defend it. Boo. No, you don't like that? Boo. Buy in on these cockamamie theories and roads and things we're cheering for, Sam, or get out. Listen, I was the one that introduced the Atlanta theory. You can't tell me to buy into something I introduced. You get out. I can, and I did. You get out. And you listeners, you get out too. That's the end of the show. Thanks for listening. 